Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus unto the church of the Thessalonians, in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is meet, because that your faith groweth exceedingly, and the charity of every one of you all toward each other aboundeth. And so we, we looked at First Thessalonians last week and, and understood the, the setting there of this um, these letters, but uh, there's a second letter here that, that we see, and really the purpose and, and the reason why Paul now writes uh, to, to the Thessalonians a second time is to clear up a misunderstanding. There was a bit of a misunderstanding of the term sudden um, in his first letter in reference to the return of Christ. And in, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 3, it says, For when they shall say, Peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them. And so some in the church had interpreted that word sudden as immediate and were neglecting then as a result their daily work which led to a disorderly life. And so this error that had crept in in the understanding of, of Christ's return really gained strength by some forged letters. In chapter 2, 2 Thessalonians 2 verse 2, it says that ye be not soon shaken in mind. Or be troubled neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter as from us as that the day of Christ is at hand. So uh, presumably there was someone who had forged a letter from Paul um, that, that had, had uh, confirmed uh, this error. In chapter 3 verse 17 again, the salutation of Paul with mine own hand, which is a token in every epistle. So I write and he's, he's basically affirming here in, in the uh, in, this, in this letter, that this is of him and because there were some who had been writing under his, his name. And so Paul wrote this second letter to, again, reassure them of Christ's coming to vindicate their cause, to explain that certain events must first come to pass before Christ's return, and to exhort them to lead a quiet, sober, and industrious life. Uh, a commentator said this, The apostle comforts and supports the Thessalonians under the affliction and persecution they endured for the sake of the gospel. It rectifies their mistaken view concerning the coming of the Lord and exhorts them to take notice of disorderly persons such as were idle and busybodies and to withdraw from them, to remove them from their communion as being not only burdensome to them, but a reproach to their profession. And we see that in chapter 3 as he instructs them. So in, in one, one sentence, we summarize that as as this, the, the whole book of the Second Thessalonians, whatever difficulties believers face, they should stand fast and continue living useful lives since Christ's return is a mystery. And so Second Thessalonians is your, the 53rd book in your Bible. Paul is the, the writer. It appears that, again, that the, the person who carried the first epistle returned speedily to Corinth and gave Paul a particular account of the state of the Thessalonian church. So this was really written just a couple of months after the, book, the writing of the book of 1 Thessalonians. And already this, uh, this had, had gone through the church. And so uh, this book has three chapters, a short book, 47 verses, 1,042 words. And really the key word is waiting. And uh, the key verse is 2 Thessalonians 3.5, And the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God, and into the patient waiting for Christ. And, and what he was uh, 
he was meaning there was that they would wait upon uh, the, the return of Christ and, and not be shaken by what they had, they had heard through the error there. Uh, both First and Second uh, Thessalonians, they were written from Corinth by Paul. And again, within a few months of each other and are probably his first epistles. In Second in Thessalonians, Paul writes of both the general facts concerning the sin of man in, in chapter 3 and then some specific facts concerning the man of sin in chapter 2. And really, in the New Testament, the, the two most extended passages dealing with the coming Antichrist are, are found here in 2 Thessalonians and then later on in Revelation chapter, uh, sorry, Revelation chapter number 13. And this book is, is the shortest of Paul's epistles to the local churches. Uh, the book of 1 Corinthians was his longest to a, to a church, and then the, the Second Thessalonians was the shortest. It's the 22nd longest New Testament book and the 60th longest biblical book, so it's short is what am I meaning. Uh, practically every major doctrine in the catalog of faith is contained in First and Second Thessalonians. And there's a few contrasts, though. Paul wrote the first epistle to tell them they had not missed the rapture. And then Paul writes the second epistle to assure them that they were not in the tribulation. Uh, Paul's first epistle was written to comfort and the second to correct. And if you remember last week, we spoke about the Thessalonian church as, a, as an example church. And I think it's comforting to actually know that even in, the exam, in this example church, there were some issues still. <laughs> and that there's no perfect church, right? And so uh, these, uh, there are quotations and allusions from nine Old Testament books in this epistle. Um, and again, Thess- 2 Thessalonians gives the Bible's most detailed description of the Antichrist in, um, in chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. And so, again, um, just a, an interesting book as we, we think about that. Really, Paul teaches on separation as well. In chapter 3, he, he speaks about separating from disorderly brethren, brethren who do not work, and brethren who disobey the Bible. And, uh, and basically, we're going to look at that in a bit, but Second uh, Th- Thessalonians is both a, a prophetic and practical book. Uh, the purpose is as we mentioned already, is to assure the Thessalonians that the tribulation was not already taking place. He really covers that in chapter 1 and chapter 2. Um, he shows, it's also to show that Christ's second advent would deliver them from their persecutions and result in the judgment of their enemies, and then also to instruct them on church discipline in regard to those disorderly brethren. Uh, the outline of the book, you could, you could say, is in four parts. You can summarize the book in, in two words, Christ's coming. And firstly, the first section is to comfort, a comfort to the persecuted in chapter 1. We see the second part of it, uh, the second half of chapter 1, a terror to the unconverted. In chapter 2, the tragedy of the man of sin. And then later, uh, the rest of the, the, the book, a blessing for the faithful servant. And so if you, you wanted to outline it, you could outline it that way. The type of Christ seen in this book is, is really Christ seen as the coming king. And so really it's, just a, it's a short book, a good read, and especially if you're, you're interested in, in uh, end times and all of that. There's a, it's, again, a prophetic book, but also a practical book. And, and I want to talk about that 
here a little bit in chapter 3. Look at verses, verses 10 to 15. So it says, For even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. For we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly, working not at all, but are busybodies. Now them that are such we command and exhort by our Lord Jesus Christ, that with quietness they work and eat their own bread. But ye, brethren, be not weary in well-doing. And if any man obey not our word by this epistle, says there, note that man, and have no company with him that he may be ashamed, yet count him not as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. And so we, we know a little bit already about the, the Thessalonian church. It was a model church. It was an example church. It, it said in, in, um, in the first epistle that they were an ensample to all and, and that the, from them sounded out the word of the Lord and, and not even in their locality but, but all abroad. And so we note that, uh, that the church, it had a, a, had a real zeal for the Lord. Um, again, it says, for from you sounded out the word of the Lord. Um, and yet we learn a little bit about, about the, the church there. It says in Acts 17.11, these were more noble than those in Thessalonica. And so, it, so even in this model church, it says in that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily, whether those things were so. And I, I think that's that's pertinent to know because in, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 21, he exhorts them with this, prove all things. Hold fast that which is good. And then later on, he, he's going to talk about keeping to the, to, to the traditions, keeping to the epistle written to them. And so evidently, this, even in this model church, this example church who had tremendous faith, there was still... Uh, a, a remnant of them uh, within the church who were just accepting everything they just they heard. Uh, they were perhaps um, they they were perhaps not protecting themselves from from other influences that were coming in and and muddying the clear waters of scripture. And so, as a result, there were difficulties then in the congregation. They were prone to believe in anything proclaimed that would lead them astray. And again, we read that in, in 2 Thessalonians 2, 2, it says that ye be not soon shaken in mind, or be troubled neither by spirit nor by word, nor by letter as from us. Notice there, as from us, not from us, as from us. Uh, there were those who were, who were sounding like they were, they were scripturally right, but they had not searched, they had not proven, and therefore they had not guided themselves. And there's a warning there in itself for us. You know, we, we, could, we could do all those things that we are supposed to do as a church, but we still have a personal responsibility, each and every one of us, to study the Word of God and be diligent in that, therefore guiding ourselves and guiding the, the purity uh, of the truth in this local assembly. And we need that. And, and here he's admonishing them, and th this particular error here was in regard to the second coming of Christ. But, but again, there's so many other errors that can keep, uh, that can, can come into a church that can shake us. He says there, be not shaken of mind. Uh, instead, we ought to have a stability of mind and we have to guide ourselves 
by really by being students of the word ourselves and being diligent to prove all things. And they say it's hold fast to that which is, which is good. And I believe uh, there were some struggles that we find here when we allow hearsay to rule rather than our own strength in God's word. Because really that's what it was. It was hearsay that, that caused some things to, to, um, to, to lose track in the church. And, and, and there's nothing like error and hearsay that will cause a good church to stumble. There's nothing like that. And, and I, I guess we live in the age where, where we have accessibility to misinformation and error so, so readily available to us um, through the World Wide Web. And we better be careful about that. We better just guard ourselves that, that we don't just believe things that we just sort of gloss over we might see on social media or we might see in other places and, and we might be drawn into that. And really what we need to do is what he exhorted them in, in the first epistle, prove all things. And then to follow after those things that, that were, were written by them, the Word of God. And here's the result of that. Here's some of the, those things. And we read it, read it already, but they were, some had become lazy and stopped working. Some weren't fulfilling their actual responsibility. And that's generally what happens as a result of error. When, when error creeps into our lives or into the church, it, is the work stops. We, don't, we start to not fulfill those things that are, we are responsible for. And, and um, as, as the, the, the warning here was given by, by Paul, he says, you know, those who won't work shouldn't eat. Um, he, he's saying here that you ought to be working. And, and we know that, that in, in um, indication there in 1 Thessalonians that the entering in of the gospel to them was the, this. The apostle Paul worked hard and he set a good example for them like we heard last week. And so for him to see this, and here's the excuse, they were thinking that the, they, were, they were erroneous in their thinking about the second coming. Error had crept in, and then the result of that was this, they stopped fulfilling their responsibility. You see, it only takes a half truth to derail your mentality, right, right mentality and fulfillment of responsibility in your life. And here particularly, they, they had begun to think that, well, if it's just any day now, it's immediate, then what, what's the bother of working? What's the bother of trying to supply for my family? What's the bother of doing what I'm supposed to be doing? And, and sometimes uh, what happens is a little error creeps in into our thinking. A little error that's not right biblically comes into the congregation. And those things that we're supposed to be responsible for, then we stop doing. Um, and we better take great care. Often the result of error creeping into the church is that the body becomes lazy. And suddenly there's excuses not to do what we're supposed to do. I'll give you an example. You know what, what, um, what so there's, a, there's a sudden, sudden burst of this in the independent Baptist movement here in Australia. Uh, Reformed theology and Calvinism starting to creep in. And you know what, they're using that theology, that system of theology, to excuse people, uh, themselves about is this, oh, we don't need to witness that. Well, what's the point? I mean, if God already knows and God already chose those who would be saved, 
then why go out? Why? I mean, they're, they're eventually going to come to the truth. And that reasoning has crept in because they've interpreted Scripture wrongly. And now they become lazy to tell others about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and that's just, just a, a very extreme, um, extreme example, but it could be anything. You could be twisted about, uh, about your, uh, your, your responsibility to live in a, in a certain way, your personal separation and your holiness. It, it could be. Um, it could be just, uh, just other things that, that creep in, but you better take great care in, in receiving those things. And, and again, how you guard yourself is this, prove all things. Make sure that you, you see it in Scripture. But then secondly, not only did some stop doing the responsibilities, they, they started to get lazy. Secondly, some became busybodies. And uh, here we see that in, in verse 11, working not at all, but are busy bodies. And because of a false concept of Christ's coming, some in the church had a false conduct. And they had quit work to await His coming and had become busybodies. A busybody is someone who's, a, who's meddling. Someone who's a prying person. Not praying person, a prying person. Someone who has an opinion in somebody else's affairs. They love to talk about something they have no idea about. That's what a busybody is. They're sticking their nose in someone else's affairs, someone else's life. In 1 Timothy 5.13, that word is used again, and with all they learn to be idle, wandering about from house to house, and not only idle, but tattlers also, and busybodies, speaking things which they ought not, gossip, slander, uh, presumptions, thinking that they can read people's hearts. In First Peter 4.15, But let none of you suffer as a murderer or as a thief or as an evil doer or as a busybody in other men's matters. And so what he was saying there was because they had uh, error had cre- crept in, they hadn't, they hadn't proven all things, and in this particular instance, the, the second coming, the result was this, was this, they started to become busybodies. Suddenly they had, a, they had a, a, perhaps a, a pet error that they wanted to check everyone else on. They, they started to walk around and go, do you believe this? Oh, I don't know. Did you see those letters? Did you see this website? Hey, can I send you a link? It might make you question what preachers preach in. It might make you question what we actually believe. That's a busybody. And we better take great care. We better not, not entertain those. And we better just, just prove all things. There were those in the church who were busy just in the wrong matter of being about someone else's business. They were busybodies. Now, suddenly there were those who, were, who weren't simply asking, how are you doing? They were examining how everyone else was doing. They were starting to, to judge each other and, and perhaps judge in, their, in this matter uh, practically here. But, but then also, perhaps uh, as we think about an application, uh, start to observe others in, in how they, they ought to be rather than focusing on how, how they themselves need to be. You see, I, was, uh, I was, read this, uh, this verse this week, Proverbs 26.16, the sluggard. That's a lazy person. That's someone who stopped working. The sluggard is wiser 
in his own conceit than seven men that can render a reason. You know, they've stopped working. They've stopped actually doing the work. They're like these and they've become busybodies. They're, they're lazy. They're sluggards. And they're just wiser in their own conceit. It's, it's like those who, who, often it's those who actually aren't doing the work, who has an opinion about the actual work and those doing the work. They, they have an opinion about everything. You know, it's like, it's like the, the fella who, who sits and watches the football on, on Friday night. And suddenly, they've never played a game in their lives. Suddenly, they're, they're yelling at the t- TV and saying, Oh, pass the ball. Oh, how'd you drop that? And they've never actually d- played the game. They've never actually taken the physical hits. And they have an opinion about the, how the halfback has cost them the game. You know what they, they, we usually call them, in, to use an American, um, uh, ja- American phrase, they're armchair quarterbacks. Backseat drivers. And suddenly they're just they're busybodies. Suddenly they just they're just experts about that. And and God's warning us. You know, suddenly when you have a, a, a this error that creeps in, suddenly you just have you're just critical and you just have opinion about everything. And you better take great care. And I'm not saying that if we observe something that is of a concern that we can't go to a brother. And we can't open the Word of God with them and lovingly uh, go through Scripture to help them. What I'm saying is just you're sticking your nose in and your, your whole motive is to catch them out. That's what a busybody is. And, and unfortunately, there's just ministries around the world built on that. And I just have no respect uh, for, for uh, so-called brethren who have the time and the temerity to look around and then publish things on the internet to divide the brethren. I just have no time for that. Uh, we, we, are, we are not called to, to be police checkers on each ministry. No, we're to be busy about going about doing the Father's business. We're meant to be so busy doing what we're doing here in our locality and trying to affect our world with the gospel of Christ that whatever else is, everyone is doing, you just let them be. Now, we might need to warn sometimes in our local congregation, but, but to, to go about and to attack sometimes, it's just too much. They've overstepped their boundaries. They've overstepped their jurisdiction. And you know what that is? It's called being a busy body. And I just think, why don't you just get busy living for God instead of critiquing how everyone else is doing it? And, and, you know, sometimes we can be like that in our personal lives. Instead of just asking the Lord to help us in our situation, being surrendered ourselves, we have an opinion about how everything else should be done, where really it's none of your concern. And we better be careful to keep our jurisdictions where they need to be. And he's saying there, you know what, these ones who had gotten lazy, these ones who stopped working, they just, what they did was they busied themselves looking at everyone else's matters. And he's saying, watch for that. That's disorderly. And we better take great care about that. But then lastly, and really quickly here in verse 14, it says, if any man obey not our word. And, and really when it comes down to it, when we let, allow error to, to creep in into our hearts, into our lives, we start to become disobedient. 
And really, that's where it came down to. He was saying here, those who had stopped working, those who had become disorderly and had become busybodies about everyone else's matters, he, he says here, and if any man obey not our word by the epistle. Now, there were those who had simply disobeyed the previous exhortation and the teaching that he had clearly laid out for them. Again, prove all things, hold fast that which is good. And, and here, uh, the Apostle Paul in, in chapter 2 and, and verse 15, he says, Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which ye have been taught, whether by word or our epistle. In chapter 3, verse 6, he uses that uh, again. He says, Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly, and not after the, the tradition which he received of us. And, and that word tradition here in this sense means this, a, a delivery of doctrines, practices, rites, and customs from father to son. You remember what, what the Apostle Paul, when he looked at those whom he had led, we, we use that example in First Timothy, where he looked at Timothy, he says he's a son in the faith. He looked at the church in Corinth and he instructed them. He said, you might have many masters, but you only have one father in the gospel. And he was speaking about himself. The one who had led them, the one who had taught them the truths of the gospel. And he's saying here, you know, follow after those things. Follow those things that I passed on. Follow those teachings that I've given you that are clearly given to you in these letters. And he was saying that, that you need to take great care to obey those. And by the way, can I just say that, that the Word of God is not a suggestion. All right, it's, it's written to be obeyed. It's written to be responded to. It's not to debate over. It's meant to be an instruction to us in how we live. And he's saying that I've given you these traditions, and he uses that word in that sense, my, the delivery of doctrines and teachings. And he's saying you need to be obedient to those. And those who were allowing error to creep in, those who weren't strong in doctrine, they were starting to disobey those things that were passed on to them. The, the very thing Paul admonished them to keep doing. And really the, the instruction then is this. He says, you know, you need to separate from those who are disorderly that way. He's saying disorderly in that they, they weren't, Fulfilling their responsibilities. Disorderly in the way that they had become busy bodies. Disorderly in the way that, that they've been disobedient to the clear commands that I have given them. But then notice in verse 15, the goal, the goal wasn't just to shame them, like in verse 14. Notice what he says, yet count him not as an enemy. And you know, the, the, the temptation is to, to look at disorderliness in a person's life and count them as suddenly of the other side. But let's not forget the goal here is this. Notice verse 15. But admonish him as a brother. You know, there, there are many, many deceptions in the world today. And, and, you know, none of us here are, are above being deceived. Only in pride. And because we live... We live battling pride every day. Uh, many times we can put ourselves in that situation. And you would hope if it was you, that someone would love you enough that they would admonish you as a brother. That their desire is not just separation, 
but restoration. And you know how, how different would churches be today if we just didn't count someone out but continue to help and reach and continue to love and then by, by God's power and by God's dealing with them, restore them back to fellowship. You know, I, I just love seeing that. I, I love seeing that in our church. I love the fact that, that, that there's some who, who have departed but have come back slowly and I praise God for that. That's the kind of church that we need to be. And there's a lot of deception in the world today. Don't think you're beyond that. We need to guard ourselves, prove all things. Hey, listen, God gave us a book. You know why? Because it's in black and white. It's clear. And He's given us the Spirit of God to be a teacher who will guide us unto all truth. And we better, we better take great care as we... As we as we live in this life and in this time. Let's not allow those things to creep into our lives and derail what God would have us to do. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you again for your, your grace. Thank you, Lord, for this evening. Father, I pray that you'd guide us. Lord, help us, Lord, to be students of your word. Help us, dear God, to be workmen that need not to be shamed, rightly dividing the word of God. Help us, Lord God, to... to to love your word, to, to allow it to be a filter through all those things that we, ha- we are deciding on, all those, the, the information that so readily comes into our, our lives in this day. And help us, Lord, not to be derailed in the things that you would have us to do as individuals, but, Lord God, as a church. And I pray that we continue on, Lord, holding to those things, those traditions that are passed down in the word of God, those things that have been passed on to us in faith. And I pray that you'd help us as we head into the week, Lord, to praise you, to glorify your holy name, and to lift you up in our lives. In Jesus' most precious, holy, wonderful name, amen.